Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So today we remember and we celebrate the coming of the promised Holy Spirit described in Acts chapter 2, where the church was gathered in a small upper room about this size. And it was crowded, so you should be able to get the feel of what it would have been like on that first uh, day of Pentecost in the New Testament. Um, but we don't just look back at what the Holy Spirit did. Uh, we also, on a day like this, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to continue His work in and through each one of us, and in and through uh, this His church. Uh, We're going to be jumping around Acts 2 quite a bit this morning, even going beyond what's in the bulletin. Um, Acts 2, verses 1 through 11, a lot happens. Uh, It's wonderfully chaotic and confusing. And the very next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 12, says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does this mean? And that's part of our task this morning to see what the coming of the promised Holy Spirit meant uh, for God's work in the world, what it means for us today. Remember, just before uh, his ascension, Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. Uh, Those were the last words that the risen Jesus shared with his followers. Then he ascended uh, to the Father's side before sending the Spirit. Sending the Spirit to indwell and empower God's people to fulfill the mission he had given them. To do the work that God had given them to do. And again, that's not just true then. It's true now as well where the Spirit is at work. Uh, This church, St. Thomas Anglican Church, we're we're a vibrant, disciple-making, liturgical church that is all about the gospel. And on a day like Pentecost Sunday, we gather and we wait. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us anew, to guide us as his people, to transform us as his followers, and to send us out to do the work that he gives us. And fittingly, on this particular Pentecost Sunday, we also celebrate Holy Baptism today. Uh, We've got five candidates, uh, three older kids, and two uh, little bitty ones. Um, And I'm going to do my best to preach through, but I'll tell you this. Our two youngest candidates, um, they do have prerogative as egg timers during the sermon. So if they go off, um, you can read the rest of Acts 2. We want to make sure that they are able to engage Uh, the baptism well. And again, crying is fine. Um, Baptism's a new birth. Crying's part of that. Uh, But we want the parents, and especially the candidates, uh, to enjoy and have this be a meaningful time. Again, if you are a friend uh, or family member have come with these candidates, welcome. Uh, We are glad to have you here in our midst. Um, And as we mainly look at Acts 2, I do want to mention briefly two other passages in the New Testament. Uh, that really guide our, our thinking as we look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, St. Paul in Romans chapter 8 wrote that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
with groanings too deep for words. In John chapter 14, what Deacon Joe read for us, uh, Jesus of the Father will send us another helper, uh, literally the paraclete. Um, And I don't know, when you think about a helper, what comes to mind? Um, I think some people think of the Holy Spirit like Siri uh, on their Apple device, or I was told Alexa, if you're, you know, one of those other people, um, you can use Alexa. Uh, But we think of the Spirit like that. He's just on demand. We just call out, and the Spirit comes and helps us with our agenda and what we want to have happen. But the Spirit's not like that. Uh, The Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, and the Spirit comes and ministers to us, ministers through us. Uh, when we are weak, if we're feeling inadequate, when we don't have words to speak or even words to pray, how often in the last few weeks have we been at a loss for words? What do we say? How do we pray? And the Spirit does His work. The Holy Spirit, who is our helper, our advocate, our guide, and our friend. Um, one thing I want to do at the start of this sermon, uh, I can assume safely that folks in this gathering have had all kinds of teaching on the Holy Spirit, probably running the entire spectrum of Christian belief. We have folks who are from uh, Pentecostal backgrounds, uh, Catholic backgrounds, Orthodox, Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, non-denom, cool Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, all of it. Um, And so I just want to get us on the same page as we think about who the Holy Spirit is And what the Holy Spirit does, this is from uh, the Catechism, a teaching document of the Anglican Church in North America, and just gives us some guardrails um, as we think about the Spirit together. The Catechism says the Holy Spirit is the third person and the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, equally worthy of our honor and worship, who imparts life to every living thing in creation, reveals God's word to his people, and calls sinners to a new life of faith in the saving and life-giving work of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who unites Christians to Jesus, indwelling them, convicting them of sin, giving them spiritual gifts, and bearing spiritual fruit uh, in their lives. Um, That's what we mean when we talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So let's come here to Acts 2. Uh, We're going to look at the tongues of fire and these mouths of mission in Acts 2. Uh, First, the first four verses of Acts 2, um, it's wild. You read that, right? There's there's a loud sound. There are tongues of fire. Uh, Maybe because the sun, I look like that right now. I don't know. The sun's coming in right behind me. Uh, People are speaking in all these languages. No one knows what's happening. A crowd gathers. It's like like a fireworks show, a sonic boom, and a bomb all go off at once. Um, And rather than digging into every uh, detail of that, what I see in these first four verses is that when the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens. When the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens. Um, And the most amazing thing about Acts chapter 2 is that here the Holy Spirit comes down and shows up for the entire church, all of God's people. Um, The Holy Spirit is not new in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's been at work in the Old Testament, and the, the Holy Spirit would come upon particular people. 
uh, at particular times for particular ministries. We even see that in the Gospels with John the Baptist, um, or even at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit is at work. Uh, it's not remarkable that when the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens. What's remarkable is that now, instead of the Spirit just coming down on particular people in particular times for particular ministries, now the Holy Spirit comes for all of God's people. And the Holy Spirit comes upon men and women, uh, those who are slave, those who are free. Um, it comes upon uh, Jews and Gentiles. It comes upon everyone. The Holy Spirit is poured out freely and lavishly on all of God's people. Um, and part of what that means is that no longer does the Holy Spirit come for particular uh, times and particular ministries, but that all of God's people are called to be part of God's mission in the world. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell and empower everyone uh, at all times to do all of the work that God gives us to do. Uh, one of the most fruitful things you could probably do this morning um, is be open and be prayerful. Um, later in our service, we're going to come to Holy Communion together. We think that the Lord's present when we gather for communion. And we gather and we open ourselves and we receive. Um, friends, this would be the perfect moment to come forward and in openness say, Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit afresh? Would you come and transform me? Would you come and renew me? Would you guide me? Would you show me uh, the work that you have given me to do? Um, we're actually going to have a prayer team uh, during communion. We used to do this kind of before COVID, um, but we're going to have a prayer team over to the side. And if you'd like, after you receive communion, uh, you can come and they'll pray for you. Um, they can pray for the Holy Spirit to come and renew you, fill you again. If you've got a specific request, they would love to pray for that. If you've got a need for healing, if you've got a need just for God to show up and do stuff, um, they will be there and will pray for you. Um, it will be respectful. It won't be super weird, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, when the Holy Spirit shows up, you never know what's going to happen. But, um, but let's have this be a day where we open ourselves uh, to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I want to talk about some of the Old Testament roots of Pentecost. Um, a lot of folks probably don't realize that Pentecost, as a festival, as a celebration, is an Old Testament ceremony. It's a holiday in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament thing. And really, when Pentecost would occur, if you were a good first century Jew, uh, Pentecost was primarily a harvest festival. Um, you would gather the season's harvest, and it was about generosity. You would bring your tithes and offerings in on Pentecost Sunday. Um, I actually know of a church, and we're not going to do this, don't worry, but their emphasis on Pentecost Sunday is on tithes and offerings. They ask the church to be praying through Easter, what is God giving you, uh, calling you to give? And they bring in the first fruits of harvest partly to kind of go through the summer months, which can be a little leaner. Um, and it just reminds us that even as God gives to us, we're called to also be generous. Um, but secondly, one of the main connections with Pentecost that's fascinating is uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts, the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to God's people, right? In the Old Testament, uh, they actually connected Pentecost with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Think about the similarity. 
Here in Acts chapter 2, it's loud. There's fire. There's cloud. It's crazy. God, the Holy, God sends the Holy Spirit to guide his people in how to live. Well, Mount Sinai is pretty similar. When Moses goes up, there's fire, there's smoke, it's loud, it's scary, and God sends the law. Here's how you will guide the people. And I don't think that's a coincidence that the Holy Spirit comes down on the Feast of Pentecost, a feast they already had to commemorate this. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, he looks at this and says, When the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, Moses went up the mountain and then came down again with the law. Here in the first few chapters of Acts, Jesus has gone up into heaven in the ascension, and Luke wants us to see he is now coming down again, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with the dynamic energy of the law designed to be written on human hearts to guide God's new covenant, New Testament people. Um, and so we should expect fire. We should expect loud sounds. We should expect uh, clouds. Whenever we see God's presence show up in the Bible, there's usually fire and cloud and noise, isn't there? Um, all throughout the Old Testament. Actually, one specific place um, is in the book of Exodus, if you remember. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. But in the book of Exodus, there is a bush that's on fire, the burning bush. And from that bush, uh, God speaks to Moses, and he calls him to go and begin his work of redemption and renewal. And this little detail there in the account in Exodus says that that bush was aflame, but not consumed and not destroyed. Um, I'm actually indebted to Tim Keller, who looked at that and said, that should be an image of every Christian. That we're a glow, we're a flame with the fire of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't consume us or destroy us, it purifies us. It renews us. It's the fire that leads to eternal life. God actually comes and dwells among us. He makes us his temple and fills us with his fiery glory. And then what happens when those tongues of fire come down is that the early church begins to speak the language of mission. Tongues of fire, mouths of mission. Uh, when they spoke with their tongues on fire, we see that they declared the mighty works of God. Um, friends, that's the normal occurrence. The regular function of the Holy Spirit is to empower Christians to bear witness to the gospel, to assure them of their connection to God through the experience of his presence. Uh, Jesus ascends to the Father, but he sends the Spirit to continue his work. Jesus ministers through his Spirit-filled church. And we see that his spirit-filled church is wonderfully diverse and full. There are people from every tribe and tongue and nation who immediately respond. Did you hear all of those words that Megan read for us? All of those peoples, all of those places, uh, some of them enemies of one another. Uh, some of them would have been looked down on, but God calls them to his, himself um, this could be a whole other thing. But on the day of Pentecost, one of the things we see is that when the Holy Spirit comes, God begins to transcend all of our natural barriers, the things that divide us, the things that separate us, um, whether those be uh, barriers of race or nationality or linguistic barriers. 
um, gender, uh, maybe socioeconomic class. Um, God, I bet we even have like an Alabama football fan here today. I don't know. We are getting, oh, I see one. I see one in the back. Woo. Um, watch out. Different kind of lightning bolt coming down. Um, no, but when the Holy Spirit comes, we see this unity that's greater than our differences. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful parts of Pentecost. Um, that those who are maybe naturally divided, those who don't naturally get along outside the church, within the church, they're all under the banner of Jesus. Uh, the Spirit unites them and works in their midst. I, I mean, think about it. You've gone to, to some probably parties or gatherings, and you've gone to things where everybody's the same. They all have the same interests. They all look like they're cut from the same cloth. Um, if you don't believe me, there's probably a date night happening off Millage Avenue soon where folks have uniforms, essentially. If you go to watch a Georgia game, everyone looks pretty similar, right? They're all wearing the same clothes. They're all doing the same cheers. I think sometimes church feels like that, too. And Pentecost says that, no, <laughs> church is where we come, and we're wonderfully different. Uh, God creates, and in his creativity, we see diversity of uh, race and nationality and temperament. We see all kinds of difference. And I think it's a mark of the spirit-filled church that people get along inside the church. They love one another um, in ways that confound the world. In ways that confound the world. Um, now, I told you I was going to go past our passage in Acts 2. Um, and what I want to do is look at what happens after the Holy Spirit comes. Immediately, we're told that Peter stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to preach. And what he does, he, he preaches about how the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament and in many ways vindicates uh, Jesus. When, when Peter thinks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's not just, oh, there was a cool explosion of enthusiasm and fun and chaos. He goes, no, the Spirit coming means that Jesus really did he was crucified, he was raised, and he ascended, and he sent the Spirit, just like he said. Um, he tells uh, how this fulfills the promises of the Scriptures, and he roots it in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel. Um, and he actually, he gives his sermon, and first of all, everyone's shocked that Peter's a good preacher, because up until this point, Peter kind of got things wrong most of the time. But he finishes his sermon, and it says that the folks gathered were cut to the heart, and they said, what should we do? I mean, I can't, that, that would be amazing. If we finish the sermon, and you're just in unison, what should we do? And what Peter tells them actually connects to what we're going to do in a little bit. Um, he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, for the promises for you and for your children. Um, our littlest ones who come, that's part of why we do that. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Interesting. The person and work of the Holy Spirit is vital for the life of each church and every believer. I think it's a shame that the Holy Spirit has become such a divisive topic when the Spirit is meant to unify God's people. 
Um, John Stott. You guys know John Stott, British evangelical Anglican. Um, I know our folks who are watching from England know John Stott. Uh, It says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. Today is a day in the life of our church where we say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. Come and do your work among us. Come and move among us. Um, And I want to just talk a minute about uh, church, and then we'll be done and and move to baptism. Uh, But I I was talking recently with a friend of mine who's uh, in a very different kind of church, a very uh, free, wonderfully chaotic, spontaneous, charismatic church. Um, And you might think that actually uh, our expressions of Christianity are worlds apart. Um, If you come to our service, we're pretty reserved. It can be formal, structured, contemplative. If you go to their service, um, it's it's not. It's, again, wonderfully chaotic and seemingly spontaneous. And you might think, man, these churches have nothing to do with one another, and you'd be wrong. Because what the most liturgical church and the most charismatic church have in common is they expect God to show up and do stuff. They expect God to show up and to do stuff. Um, For us, we trust that God's going to work in ways that he's promised. Ordinary ways. Drawing near to meet us when we gather in word and in the sacraments. Drawing near to inhabit our prayers and our songs of praise filling us up anew with the peace of God that passes all understanding, filling us with the burning fire of mission as we're sent out to do his work and transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. I think many can be surprised to know that Anglicans delight in the person and work of the Holy Spirit because we're not as known for our exuberance or enthusiasm. Um, And I would just say exuberance and enthusiasm do not equal the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, They can be part of it, and sometimes they should be part of it. But the Holy Spirit's work is deeper and richer than simply that. Um, You know, if you start with Acts 2, verses 1 through 11, you have this chaotic, wonderful experience of the Spirit, right? Um, By the time you get to the end of Acts 2, I would say that you actually have something that looks pretty familiar if you're in an Anglican church. Acts 2 says, once the Spirit has come among them and dwelled them and is doing his work, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Um, Now, those sound like pretty formative churchy practices. Um, And I would just say that in all of Acts chapter 2, you have an interesting sketch of the spectrum of churches and of belief. Acts 2, 1 through 11, this wonderful explosion of signs and wonders and the Spirit. What we might think of as a more charismatic church, which is good. Peter's sermon, it's rooted in Bible study. It's a call to evangelism. He has a straight-up altar call. It's the best of the evangelical tradition. And then you keep going further in Acts 2, and you see what we might think of as 
um, the more traditional element, uh, a formation emphasis on the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I would just say, friends, we don't have to pick between those three. You actually can have all of those in a church. You, You can have the Spirit freely, wonderfully working, showing up in power and glory. You can have the Scriptures boldly proclaimed. Uh, You can have evangelism. In an Anglican church, you can, I promise. You can call people to new life and to repent and place their faith in Jesus. And then you can have that all take place, uh, not chaotically, but in a form, in a structure. You can have it take place with the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I would say when you have those together, well, that's a vibrant, disciple-making liturgical church. What is dangerous is when you have maybe only one of those. Um, Like if you are just a charismatic church and you're just interested in experience and signs and wonders, but you're not worried about the Bible and evangelism and discipleship, and you're not worried about the church Catholic and the church global, you're going to have a fire that rages out of control. And folks can get hurt in those environments. And they can be really culturally specific And leaders can, instead of the spirit reigning over a congregation, the leaders can reign over a congregation. Um, I've been in a lot of churches. This is probably my, kind of what I grew up, is you're just an evangelical church. It's Bible teaching. It's uh, altar call. It's discipleship. And friends, if you do that, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, um, it's going to be harsh. And if you do that and you don't have Uh, the church Catholic and the church global, well, then it's probably just going to be trendy and hip. And you're going to call people to a faith that serves them now but won't actually serve them for a lifelong of discipleship. And then I'll pick on us too, because Anglicans can be guilty of this. If you just have a church that's focused on form and structure, but you don't have Bible study and evangelism, and you don't have the vital life of the Holy Spirit, it is dead. It is lifeless. But friends, those aren't the options. We can have all of these in one church. And I actually love that we have folks from all these different traditions coming to find a home together at St. Thomas because God's doing something unique here. This is a day where we can open ourselves to what the Lord is doing. To say, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh Draw men and women, young and old, to yourself. Lead us into holiness and lead us on mission. At one point it says they were cut to the heart. Friends, I think so many of our hearts have grown cold and grown numb and been just beat up by the last few years. Um, Today you could say, Holy Spirit, would you come and just enliven my heart again? Would Would you wake me up? I said before the service, you need the Holy Spirit to have you aflame with God's glory, and you probably need some coffee to keep you awake. But Holy Spirit, you can come and enliven us again. You can redeem, and you can restore. You can heal. You can renew. You can reconcile and unite. The Holy Spirit is present in our fellowship, in our friendships, um, in our families, And it's the Holy Spirit that comes and and builds and guides and blesses the church and gives us the work that God has given us to do. Let me pray for us, and then we'll move into uh, baptism. But if you would, 
Uh, Let's sit for a moment of reflection before we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in us the fire of your love. Direct and rule our hearts in all things. Empower us for witness and ministry and daily increase in us your gifts and fruit to the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.